yes, I did these things. Yes, I take responsibility. No, there's nothing I can do to change it, but it doesn't make it okay for you to treat me this way. The things that are supposed to bring you comfort just aren't. What if all this pain is just pain? It was this like, you are never good enough, toxic. What if there's no deeper plan? There isn't some like deeper purpose here. It's just, I just have to make a choice. What's healthy for me and what is in line, what's line of sight to the man that I want to be in the world I want to live in. That's been a much more persuasive thing to affect my actual behavior than whatever the other thing was. This is the airing of grief with Derek Webb. Conversations and correspondence about spiritual D and reconstruction. Season 1, Episode 12. Fingers crossed. Hey, Derek. Hey. How's it going? What's up, man? I'm hanging in. How about yourself? Good. I'm doing fine. Thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Uh, you too. I think this is a really cool idea. You know, I've just enjoyed listening to um, your perspective over the years. I've been really intrigued as over the last couple of years, you know, hearing from a distance kind of the things that you've been working through. And, you know, as a fan, there's no real way for me to communicate and, and check in on you and things like that. Right. But, you know, from listening to your album, it, you know, I was actually my sister who lives out in L.A. I live in Georgia. Gotcha. I was I was sharing the album with her over the weekend when she came to visit, and um, you know I just at some point just sort of wonder if I get the sense the sense that your support system just in a time of need wasn't there for you, and for that, mm. you know I just you know I don't know if that's truly the case, but sort of the the impression I got from from the new album, and if that's the case, I just kind of wanted to apologize that that your your support system may have you know not been there for you when it felt like you needed it well no that's kind and that's appreciated and um you know to be fair um you know everybody i think people intend on sticking around and (laughs) until they are put in a position that they feel uncomfortable with that they just yeah until you kind of um you know, kind of call them for all their chips, uh, emotionally, (laughs) you know, like, um, and so, you know, I, I I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I mean, I would have left me too. It's not me. That's really that's really appreciated, and and you know you you go through those things and you you find um, you know you you find you find new people and you find and you get what you need and you know what I found yeah. when it comes to you know community and support systems because first of all it's so 
unbelievably important. Like it's you're it, right you know, about you, that. You, you you really need it's you know you need people to um to go with you through things and and but what I, one thing I learned that um that has been really helpful and is that you know the typically you make friends um, and you have community and it's based on the way that, that most people typically make friends is they find people they have things in common with or that mm-hmm. they have common experiences with and they connect with those people and that's all a great thing and then eventually maybe something happens that calls that relationship into question and sometimes you those people stay and sometimes they leave but when you make friends and the um and the first thing that they learn about you is the worst thing mm-hmm. it's, it's all out there <laughs> it's a really different yeah it's a different foundation yeah. of a friendship like the friends i yeah. have now i know there is not anything i could do to drive these people away because you know we met and and for some of them too you know in times of sort of showed the worst side of yourself uh, yeah like early on and they still accept you yeah we met in kind of times of trauma a little bit so it's like after time goes by you you kind of rather than being surprised by bad things you're almost kind of surprised by good ones you're like i had no idea you were good at this that's crazy (laughs) i didn't know that part of your story it's everything's kind of a delight you know like when you meet people the worst time you're like so it's it's actually it's been okay you know it's been good and so if if we've you know so hearing that part of your story um you know, uh, wh- how did you feel like you kind of interacted with what was what was there, and did you feel as though that was a I was, point, I was a breaking point, or yeah? <laughs> I was a little scared because I've been fo- yeah, I follow all your social media accounts, and sure. you know, I, I, up to the lead up of the the release, you know, you really made a lot of hints as to you know, the tone and, and the themes of, that you were going to be talking about. Yeah. It was not necessarily something that I wanted, you know, I, you know, I, I want to hear, you know, that everything is going well with you, you know, in an ideal world, I know that's not the case, you know, and, yeah. um, and that's okay. Yeah. And, um, and so I was a little scared of, of what I was going to hear very sort of, Oh man, I you know, what is he going to say? Right. And then as I, as I keep listening, it's like, that's, that's, that's not, uh, anything to be ashamed about or, or, or scared about, or, Mm. um, and there's nothing there that I'm like, uh, you know, again, we're not friends outside of, of in this life that we, that we were both in, but, you know, I still feel connected to you and, but there's nothing there that I would be ashamed to associate, you know, with you if I, if we were closer or, uh, friends and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the outlet that you've, you've chosen to, um, you know, discuss what's been happening in your life. And, yeah. um, I, I recognize that it's probably very therapeutic. Uh, and it's a thing that comes up on the record a few, in a few spots, but you know, it, it's basically a, the moment where, um, you know, it's like you work really hard to, find health and balance and um, and a lot of that has to do with having good boundaries and realizing um, and and I I think that there are a few points on the record where boundaries kind of come up and Mm -hmm. how important that that is and that has been for me where um, because for a long time especially when you've done something wrong and you know is wrong and you're kind of living with the 
the shame or the guilt, the, the, you're carrying it, you're kind of anchored to this thing that you've done. And when that happens for a long time, you feel as though you don't have any emotional rights and that you don't have right. really, you don't deserve boundaries. You gave those and, up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, that, that other people do and that other people get to dictate the emotional terms of your relationship and you have to just kind of go along with it because you don't deserve anything else. But hmm. hopefully over time, there is a point at which you regain your emotional rights a little bit. Yeah, and I hope so. And, and, and you start to say, you know, listen, yes, I, I did, you know, I did, I did some stuff I'm really not proud of and some really destructive things and some really unforgivable things in, in a lot of cases, but you're also not that person anymore. And that's kind of the whole point of trying to put good choices in front of bad ones and, and find personal health and take responsibility for what you've done is that you slowly become a different person. And there's a very real sense in which I don't relate at all to the person who did those things. And I'm not that man. And, yeah. um, and, and when you get to that point, it can be a really healthy thing to finally be able to say, yes, I did these things. Yes, I take responsibility, but no, it's not okay that, that you treat me this way. Like it does not, like the things that I have done wrong do not, do not afford you an allowance from which you can draw to mistreat Judgment. me. <laughs> um, that's right. And yeah. to, for that to be the only information that you have about me forever. And, and yeah. that I, that, you know, because who could stand if that was the case? Like who? Nobody. Like who? Yeah. Who? Who? Who would be able to survive being seen forever, only through the grid of the worst thing they've ever done? And 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 that being a thing that not only, um, you know, forecasts your future, but it also reframes your past. I mean, it's like you. It's just no one could bear it. And so no. you know, I kind of start to find those boundaries and. And then the ultimate enforcement of those boundaries happened really in the title track. And, and I saved it till the second to last song on the record because that's how it felt for me personally. Like it was the very last thing that happened where I it was like near the very end of the story for me where I finally felt like I could assert my emotional rights again and that I had, hmm. that I deserved to be able to say, you know, yes, I did these things. Yes, I take responsibility. No, there's nothing I can do to change it but it doesn't make it okay for you to treat me this way. And it doesn't yeah. give you a license essentially to sin and it'd be okay. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people would say that and, and they don't, I don't think realize what they, what they, what, what they're they mean. saying when, yeah. yeah. When they say, but I wouldn't be behaving this way if it weren't for you and what you did. And it's like, okay, well that's hmm. where I end and you begin. And so I'm, and I'm yeah. not going to take responsibility for, um, for your behaviors, you get to make those choices and you don't get to put those on me. I can only yeah. bear the weight of my own <laughs> and it's a lot already. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. so that, that's kind of how it felt to me. I'm sure that uh, if we both stick around long enough, we'll we'll probably find some ground on which we can stand together again. Oh, and I appreciate, sure. yeah. So, man, thank you so much for chatting, and uh, I hope we get to talk again sometime. All right, buddy, I really appreciate it. You take care. Bye. Bye.
how's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Good, really good. We've chatted before, but obviously, but you know, we've got 10 minutes, so you know, tell me your tell me your story, right? Tell me everything. So, well, let's see. When I was probably about 17, this whole Christianity thing grabs me by the hand, right? I'm yeah. this lonely, really depressed kid, and this thing, these people, this whole church business is reaching out and telling me that I'm not alone, that I'm not mm. worthless. And it just, it makes sense. Like I wasn't raised in it or anything, but it just, right. it just made sense that that was where I ended up. And so I get involved in this church that's really toxic, but it took me several years to realize that and mm. even more to get up the courage to say it. Because it's not the kind of toxic church that you like hear about on the news, like sex scandals left and right and right. You know, creepy purity balls and shit like that. Right. It's, it's like low key toxic. Like, what are you doing for Jesus toxic? Like, mm. how's your fruit meter toxic? Like fruit of the spirit, Galatians, all that shit. Oh, well. It was this like, you are never good enough toxic. Hmm. So I carried this mindset with me into college and within like three days, I had established myself as the campus Jesus Creek. Hmm. And by the end of my first semester, I was president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, leader of the worship team, leader of a small group, leader of a Bible study Man. and co-organizer of a weekly game night because, of course, we had to prove that Christians could have fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> So while I'm doing all this, I'm also pursuing my lifelong dream of writing. Hmm. And that was where everything changed. I got into this writing group on campus and I met a couple of students in my program who happened to be queer. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing was, as a person who was a Christian, I felt no urge to dislike or disagree with their quote unquote lifestyle. Hmm. I felt no calling to change them or drag them kicking and screaming to Jesus. In fact, I found more love and community with them than I had ever felt in the church. Mm. I started working alongside them in support of a bill here in Maine, giving them the right to marry. And then the church, church folks found out. So at the end of my sophomore year, I was confronted with a choice. I could recant vocally my support of the LGBT community, or I could lose my place in Christian leadership. Wow. So I think it was then that I kind of started deconstructing. And oddly enough, I think it was actually that same summer that I discovered your music. Hmm. I was working at a Christian summer camp and a coworker gave me a mix CD with a couple of Cadence Call songs on it mm -hmm. and a couple of your solo tracks, um, I think from She Must and Shall Go Free. Mm. And I remember noticing a really striking difference even then between the work with Cadence Call and the work you were doing on your own. Mm. Like there was there was a sense of earnestness in your solo work. Like you were really searching for something. Mm. So when I found Mockingbird, even though it was still a very Christian album, 
I felt like there was a space in that work for me as I began to take my beliefs apart and examine them more closely. The more I listened to each of these albums, the more I saw my own journey in them, and the more comfortable I grew with the idea of even being on that journey in the first place. Yeah, man. And then we get to Fingers Crossed, and it was like reliving that moment when the bottom just dropped out of my faith, you know? So don't plant lines under feet And don't believe everything you To enemies, the devil too, deserves some boundaries. Like you describe it as a double divorce album, and while I certainly haven't been through like the horizontal mm-hmm. divorce, as it were, it was like I was going back and actually reliving mm. that that vertical divorce it was oh man like I remember just putting it on putting my headphones in a couple nights after it came out and like going on a walk in my partner's neighborhood and just sobbing in the dark and reliving all of it it was just it was so intense but I think I think that was like what I needed I think I I really needed to like go back and relive all of that in order to finally start accepting Mm -hmm. that these things that I used to believe really don't hold a lot of truth for me anymore. I really want them to. Um, And did did you feel like up to that point that that maybe you were behaving kind of intuitively out of that reality, but you you hadn't really maybe said to your... like did, did. do you feel like that you were already at a point where you were saying even to yourself internally that these are not things that ring true, these are not things I believe, this is not the way I identify myself anymore, or or was it later? Like, did you feel like you were already at that point? I I felt like I had already been at that point for a little while, and I think that for the last several years, I have been absolutely terrified to actually put those yes right of course no it's terrifying yeah it's it's like it's a loss of identity yeah it is that's right that's right it's a loss of identity and it's a lot it's I, i remember for me when i first kind of accepted and was willing to even say to my utter to myself that this is where i am and i need to be honest with myself about it so that so that i don't hide it and then get stuck not thinking about it or processing it in order to move on from it and find something that does ring true or even find my way back to it for that matter. Um, I remember immediately thinking, Oh my God, I don't, I have all these. It's like, it's like I, I suddenly wind up with all these cauterized loose ends, no longer connected to source material that justified like their existence. In other words, I remember immediately thinking, Oh wow. Like, so I'm still, I still have an instinct that for instance, it's makes the most sense to me of all the options to like, love my enemy and that was a hard fought thing for me and I spent a lot of t- a lot of years studying and and mulling that over and I finally came around and mm-hmm. it's really an important idea like the kind of living peaceably 
um, loving, loving of enemies and things like that. And, and I was like, I still for sure instinctively believe that, but I don't have any reason to like, what's my reason? And like, what do I do? You know? And it's like, there were a lot, and that's just an anecdote, but there were a lot of things like that where I was like, I don't have any reasons or like, I have a very strong instinct about certain behaviors that I feel like are either are healthy for me or that are kind of would, would fit into an objective moral grid, but I don't have that objective moral grid anymore. It's not anchored to anything. So, it, you know, you have a moment where you need to sort some things out. And, and so it is, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's the most like disruptive thing in the world to suddenly remove the plat, you know, the, the grid through which you see the world to suddenly remove it. Um, you know, you kind of have to, and especially, you know, for me having spent maybe 30 years building it and all of a sudden how, you know, at feeling like I'm a, I'm a 40, what the hell am I? 43, 42, 43, like a 40 something adult, but, but like a spiritual infant, like I I have nothing. I don't know. I'm starting from scratch and it's a lot. I can only imagine, man. Well, but, but it was the same for you. I mean, it sounds like, you know, it was a similar process, like where you have to start to actively let go of some things in order to make space either for new things or, or to discover those things do in fact ring true and welcome them back. Well, one way or the other, there is the letting go process. Yeah. So there's this moment, I think, in the midst of that letting go where you're like, I, or maybe it's like right before that letting go where you're like, I really don't want to actually let go of this because it's mm-hmm. been, you know, it's been so comforting to you for, you know, however many years. In yes. Like that That's right. 10 in your case, it's, you know, 20, 30, whatever. Yeah. But it's like, there's this brief, like, split second where it's like, I, uh, this has been not just my identity, but it's been, uh, it's been like a security blanket. Absolutely. You're, well, and you, and you're you know, not ready to grow up and put it down. No, that, that, that's, that's right. And, and it's not, if you think about it, it's not terribly unlike, I mean, so where my mind goes is just because something is your identity and comforting doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a good or healthy thing. And the, and where my, cause, and I, which I know, you know, and, and where my mind goes is to things like a lot of times, and I know that I've gone through long seasons in my life with this sort of thing too, where, um, narratives, untrue narratives that people have spoken to you or that you've intuited or, or received over many years, or maybe when you were a kid that are not true at all and are really, traumatic and harmful to you and your growth can become almost like Stockholm syndrome can become comforting and can become your identity. And it's hard to let go of them, even though they're completely destructive to your life, but it can still be hard to let go of them. It's painful. I mean, because they're part of, because, because just because you've had them for so long, it's like grief is hard to let go of just because it's been with you for so long. I really appreciate you being willing to lay that out and to share that story. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful and I resonate with it, you know, and, um, thank you. Thank you so much. And your story has really resonated with me as well. It, it really, yeah, it means a lot to have someone with, I think someone, especially with like your, your voice and the privilege that you carry, not to bring the privilege card into sure, it, but sure. with the privilege that you carry to be able to be uh, like the microphone. Yeah. Well, so I, th- I think what it is, is like you said at the very beginning, it's like we resonate when there are moments where we hear stories about 
things we hope to be true, especially that we're not alone, that we're not the only ones. And I think that's a narrative um, that the church does use and sometimes misuses, but I think that it's an important narrative in moments like this. It's like in moments where you feel especially isolated or um, like you're like you're jumping off a cliff all by yourself. It's like, no, there, there's a there's a cloud of witnesses around you of people who are dealing with the same things and and it's yes. and so it's a good thing to remember like in moments where you feel especially alone it's a it's a good thing to remember that even if you don't know each other um even just the hundred or so calls that i've done i can tell you that there are a lot of people who who join us in those moments of grief and pain and confusion and hope hopefully and so that's that's how we proceed you know Derek, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. Thank you so much for doing this. It's a real, uh, it's a real honor to be able to talk to you. Oh no, man, it's mine. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat. Yeah, um, <laughs> I might, <laughs> I might cry. I hope that's okay. That's okay. I might too. Uh, okay. Um, first, I want to say I just, I really, really love the new album. Um, oh, thanks. In, in kind of a, in kind of a dark place right now, and so yeah. it just feels good to have company there. Yes, I feel uh, the same. Yeah, because <laughs> I come from a, like a very like a very conservative evangelical background, um, Reformed Baptist actually, um, and so uh, hmm. you know can kind of didn't and have like definitely connected to that in your sort of that aspect of things in your music for a long time. Hmm. Um, and I found uh, I came across I I came across Mockingbird uh, in college. Uh, when I was sort of questioning a lot of that, trying to rethink sort of what my faith really meant and all right. of that. Um, and it just like completely, it completely blew me away. Um, and, it, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, this is, you know, I was questioning sort of the faith that I grew up with. And it was like, this is, you know, kind of like, this is what I like, this is what I want to be like, this is the kind of, this mm-hmm. is the kind of Christianity that I, that I can, that I can believe in, that I can buy it, that I can mm-hmm. buy. Um, and uh, so that was like one one sort of huge impact that uh, that, that your your work had on me. Um, and then uh, also, I you know I've seen you in concert uh, a bunch of times. Um, but once uh, while I was in while I was in college, uh, I saw you and uh, I actually saw saw you and um, and and Sandra, your your mm-hmm. ex wife, perform together. Um, and that was like. Because I, you know, I, was, I had been listening to Mockingbird and I really loved it, and and seeing that was just really powerful for me because it was like that's kind of, you know, because I was you know in college thinking about relationships at the same time and uh, yeah. and and was like oh that's you know that's what I want like I want I want a I want like a partnership where you know we're both like 
doing something that we believe in and we're both like bought into something um, and, and we can and like doing things that we love and doing them together as, as partners. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, very long story short, that's kind of, I, 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 I got married to someone who I, I thought, uh, I thought would meet that. Um, and, uh, it t- turned out that that was actually something a, a relationship that was, uh, really emotionally abusive. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and had, uh, actually a fair amount of, a fair amount of cheating, yeah. uh, including, including fairly recently. Mm. Um, and so, so I think like, uh, both sort of, you know, when, when you, like when you and Sandra broke up, that was, you know, that was something that I, you know, I read your, I read that letter that you posted publicly like a bunch of times and, yeah. you know, it kind of, it kind of hit me because I was like, wait, because I was, I was seeing that kind of that vision sort of fall apart in my own life at the same mm. time. Um, so, yeah. So then like I hear, you know, kind of think my, my, my wife and I have been going through that again sort of recently. Uh, and so uh, when I, I saw that the album had dropped and I, listen to it all the way through it just like <laughs> I mean, it hit me it hit me like a punch in the stomach yeah. uh, but in like in like the best possible way that i can imagine um in that like so like i listened i, I you know one of the things that's kind of kept me in, kept me in for so long is this sense that you know i i don't know where i stand with, with my faith a lot of the time yeah. but I, I still have this sense that suffering can be redemptive. Um, but then like, you know, like, and then listening to some of these, listening to to some of the songs in your album, it was just like, wait, maybe this, maybe this is all bullshit. (laughs) Maybe this like, cause I've heard you, I've heard you say kind of a lot, both on the the last episode of the podcast and such, like I have this super analytical mind and and I feel very similarly. I'm I'm an academic and that's kind of, how I think about things. And, and so like hearing the things that you were saying, like, you know, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I've I've heard that before. And so, you know, wait, what if like, what if all this pain is just pain? I don't wish this on you. Please don't hear that I do. I feel like I, I think about, I've thought about God and like how I think about it in this very analytical, analytical way. Mm. But I kind of, I think the emotion, like the, the pain opens the door to, to think about God in that way. Yes. So it wasn't like, so it wasn't like I'm hurting, I'm hurting, therefore God can't be real. It was more like I'm hurting. And so that opens my, like I'm hurting. Yes. Uh, and so that opens my mind up to think about, like to, to let myself sort of ask questions that I hadn't been willing to ask before. Yeah, sure. So you're exactly right. Pain, pain doesn't really give you any information about right. God. Um, it, it just, you're right, provides you an opportunity to process it in a handful of ways. Yeah. And, um, and maybe what it, it was Lewis that said pains God's megaphone to a deaf world. So it's like, it, it does give you a moment to basically it's 
pain and trauma tend to be uh, good or efficient moments to kind of weigh it and measure it and reckon with it and kind of not call it into question but call it to account a little bit and kind of say, okay, so yeah. this is what I'm really for sure really going through and this is what I'm really yeah. feeling and do the things that are that are designed to or claim to are advertised to bring me comfort, are they doing it? Does it ring true? Like when it when really pressed to show up and play the role that they're intended to play, are do they ring true or don't they? And yeah. um and I think that that's a very useful, you know, but unfortunately, the fact that pain does that and trauma does that, it's a high risk situation because if you use it for that reason and you look at it and you call it into question and you find it not ringing true, now you're left yeah. with the pain you started with and no comfort, um, no, nowhere to take it other than your own ability to navigate. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of a high risk moment. Um, but unfortunately, I feel like they travel together. They, they just always yeah. do. Um, yeah. and so where, what are you finding? What, what's ringing true for you? You know, it's, I think I really like, I really resonate with what you're saying there that like the things that are supposed to bring you comfort just aren't, um, right. you know, this, this idea that like, again, like, like, well, like, like what I was saying before, like that suffering can be redemptive yes. like, that if I can believe, if I can believe that, then I can, if I can believe that, then I can, I can, you know, kind of put up with anything. I can deal with anything That's right. um, because like, there's going to be, there's going to be some redemption, but I don't, I don't feel it. I don't see yeah. it. And it's like, and it doesn't make sense. Like yes. what makes, what makes sense to me in my head? Like, I really, I really love, um, I mean, there, there's so many lyrics that I love from this album. There's like so much, but like, one of my favorite that I just, I've listened to over and over again is that whole. What if there is no sin? There's no cross. There's no them. There is no us. There's just you and what you do and how you pay. For what you choose. And, and that's like, that's just hideous. It's like, no, there's like, there's no, what if there's no deeper plan? Right. There's not like, I know. there's no, like, there isn't some like deeper purpose here. It's just, I just have to make a choice. Right. You know, because if there and, is, I want to know about it. And if right, there's, and course. if there's not, I want to know about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> right, like right. either way, well, and so let me say this, if it's, if it is any comfort and it's definitely a thing that I'd feel like I'm thinking, I think a lot about is that pain being redemptive, I don't think is an idea that evangelical Christianity has the trademark on yeah. and they don't own that. Like mm -hmm. a care for neighbor um, ideas around kingdom building and the being made right of things and the the hope and action that leads to that and and as Gandhi said the 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 being the change you want to see in the world and a lot of very Christian ideas the loving of enemy the loving of neighbor and yes the redemptive quality of pain all of those things to me still ring true and I still find them operating just the same um, I mean mm. I I for sure. Uh, find it very highly, lo not only logical, but 
demonstrable to, to say that failure is easily the most important thing that anyone's doing at any given time. Failure mm. is the most important thing you're doing. And um, because you don't learn anything from success, you blow right past it, you expect it, you miss it. Mm. Whereas pain mm. is where you learn everything. Pain is where you pull the car over and you say, what the fuck just happened back there? And yeah, why and how yeah. did that happen? And, and you examine and you take stock and pain is the best. And it's like, I mean, all of the best, like all of the, the best things tend to come from pain and the way that it makes you, it's disruptive quality. And mm. I don't think that, so I don't mean to, oh, I don't mean to complicate this further for you, but <laughs> I'm suspicious and I'm finding that it rings true that the redemptive quality of pain is, is just a true thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, mm. it's, it's both, both my body and my experience tell me that it is. And mm. so it doesn't really wind up being evidence of anything to me. It's it's a self-evident truth, maybe, um, and and yeah. maybe even in saying that, I, maybe I do still believe in something objective, but I don't know. And but I think in most cases, um, uh, you know, that's that's that rings true to me. All the things that we've always given to and we feel like belong to faith and faith practice let's mm. detach all that and let's go ahead and stabilize ourselves emotionally spiritually relationally by kind of replacing targets from oh this is because of god and this is because of what god does and how, who, how god made me no maybe a lot of this stuff is true regardless and that gives me a, a lower platform upon which i can stand and really examine the actual spirituality of it and really see what's going on there without it having mm. to have the, the additional weight of everything about my personality and how I'm wired and what I believe and how I behave in the world. Mm. Do you, you know what I mean? Because if we can take yeah. all that off of it, then suddenly you're, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not, it's not nothing, but it's not everything. Yeah. That to me um, has been comforting. One of the things that I've, I've been moving towards as kind of moving away from traditional faith, the traditional you know, sort of Christian faith has been a lot of focus on, on mindfulness and meditation That's and right. that sort of thing. And, and like, like you're saying, just thinking about, you know, where are these, where do these principles actually exist sort of you know, in my, like in my actual body and mind and how yeah. I actually interact with the world, you know, not, not connected, you know, not necessarily connected to this sort of, this bigger structure right. that, that may or may not actually be yeah my, my, my view um, my view of morality and how I behave to, uh, yeah. towards other humans it's like I don't have an objective moral grid anymore I don't um, right. I don't have any external reason to behave a one way or not behave another so I've re-anchored that into what's healthy for me and what is in line what's line of sight to the man that I want to be in the world I want to live in that's been a much more mm -hmm. persuasive thing to affect my actual behavior than mm. than you know, whatever the other thing was. I mean, the, the objective moral grid didn't wind up being very persuasive and it certainly didn't really affect my behavior. It was a real struggle. I don't yeah. feel like I struggle hardly at all anymore because it's integrated and it's part of something internal. I, I, I don't, I don't look externally for it anymore. And, um, mm -hmm. anyway, so man, I, I, I really, um, can't tell you how much I appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to talk to me. And um, I really hope we have, I'm, I hate that our time's so short. I hope we have a moment to speak again because I'd, I'd like to pick this up. <laughs>
Yeah, no, me too. I would really, I would really love that. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And, and thanks. I mean, I just want to say thanks again for the album. Like, oh, I've been man. listening to it obsessively uh, over the last few weeks, and it's been, you know, like I said, a punch in the stomach, but also really, really comforting. Yeah. Time. Well, and that's yeah. Thank you. Thanks. All right, let's talk again sometime. All right, thanks, Derek. See ya. Bye. Hello to all our listeners, griefers, and anyone else with us on this journey. We wanted to let you know that The Airing of Grief Season 1 will be ending after the 13th episode, just as the 13th song is the final track on the Fingers Crossed album. When that happens, we will not be releasing episodes on Sunday nights between mid-February and April 1st. There is a lot to get ready for Season 2, so we will still be hard at work on the podcast, preparing and shaping content that we hope continues to prove meaningful and moving. But during that time, we will not be gone entirely because we will also continue to release a stream of content to our patrons, including the track-by-track breakdowns where Derek and I discuss the album, its music, its lyrics, production, all that stuff in depth along with a lot of incredible conversations and phone calls that we were just unable to feature in any of the Season 1 episodes, but we still couldn't imagine not making them available at all. Seriously, for as many incredible people and stories as you've been able to hear featured each week, there are so many more and we're excited to share those voices. We will also still be doing our monthly online hangouts and all the other stuff that's detailed on our Patreon page, so if you haven't checked that out yet, definitely find us there and consider helping support the work of bringing the airing of grief to you. And thank you so much to all of you who are doing that already. April 1st happens to be Easter, and we will be resurrecting the podcast then to debut Season 2. Yeah, it's kind of perfect. And all that said, we will see you after church next Sunday for the airing of grief. Grief.